This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Well, we continue in our sermon series called Hope for the Holidays. And as we move through this series, we're looking for examples of, of hope in the story of the birth of Christ and how that hope was represented in the lives of the people who surrounded him. We're also looking at different aspects of hope that we see displayed throughout that story. <clears throat> Last week, we talked about uh, hope that comes from anticipation of Mary looking forward to Jesus' birth and to our anticipation as we prepare to celebrate Christmas together with family, celebrating with gifts and food, and all the things that go with holiday celebration, how they build that anticipation, pointing us to the hope that we have in Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about hope and purpose and how hope and purpose are, are tied together. And as we discuss purpose, we're going to be looking at the life and birth of John the Baptist. Now, I know that you probably don't have a John the Baptist figure that goes with your nativity set. There aren't any Christmas carols that talk about John the Baptist. However, if you read through uh, the gospel accounts, especially in the book of Luke, we find that, that the birth of John and Jesus, uh, are, that those stories are intertwined, that the, the, the stories of their lives are woven together, especially when we look at the way Jesus began his earthly ministry and how John was there to prepare the way for him. And so we're going to see this purpose in the life of John connected to Jesus as we begin talking about that story. The story begins uh, actually talking about John's father, Zechariah, who was a priest, a part of the tribe of Levi. He and his wife were old. They had gone past the years of childbearing, and yet they'd always wanted a child, always hoped for the, the possibility of giving birth and raising, raising a child in their home. And it's something that they thought would give them satisfaction, purpose, meaning in life that they never were quite able to accomplish on their own, praying about it, taking the matter before the Lord, and yet it never happened for them. Both of them were, were careful to obey the law. They were obedient to God. And uh, as Zechariah was a, a priest in, in service of the temple, he had regular duties that he would perform uh, according to his family, a uh, time where he would go to the temple and serve specifically, and then he would go home and, and wait for his rotation to come. But Occasionally, they would have an opportunity for one of those priests to go into the inner part of the temple where the, the incense was burned on, a, on an altar, the incense that, that filled the place with this aroma that, that created a, a line of smoke lifting up toward heaven that signified the connection between God and man, the prayers that continually lifted up the blessing of God coming down. And it required someone to go in and maintain the incense. And so they would cast lots to determine which of the priests would have an opportunity to go into this, this holy part of the temple where they wouldn't normally be allowed in. And just by lot, it happened that Zechariah was chosen to go in and tend the altar of incense on this day, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with the number of priests who were around and the, the chance of this opportunity to come up was, was very rare. And so Zechariah went into the temple took care of the, the altar that was there, lit the incense, let the flame catch, blew it out with the glowing red embers and the smoke began rising, continued that process to make sure that there would always be this, this incense burning before the Lord. And as he was tending the, this, this altar, he noticed that next to the altar, an angel had appeared before him. He was terrified when the angel greeted him, filled with fear. 
That's the place where I want to begin reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. If you have a Bible with you and you want to read along with me, please do so. The words will be on the screen. If you have a phone or tablet, you want to use the YouVersion app. You can search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes there as well. Let's, let's read together. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zechariah, in awe of the presence of an angel, amazed at the message that he had heard, stood before him and just wondered, how, how is this possible? How, how could my wife and I have a child now when we're so old? It's not even, I, how can this be? And he said that out loud to the angel. How can this be? Apparently, it's not something you should say to an angel. Not expressing your doubt, your disbelief in that way. The angel responded. I'm Gabriel. I stand before the Lord. I stand in the presence of the Lord. Simply his, his name and his role were enough to instill confidence. However, the angel went on, knowing that he, he was present to see what God sees, to hear what God says, and he was tasked to bring this particular message to Zechariah. I said, you have doubt? You, you, you're not sure you believe? You need proof? Here's the proof. Here's something tangible for you to hold on to because you aren't sure how this is going to happen. You're not going to be able to speak until everything I said comes to pass. And Zechariah said, he couldn't talk, get it? What the angel said happened. Proof of what was going to come to pass. The people outside, the rest of the priests, wondering why Zechariah was taking so long with the incense. This is not something that should take this long. What's going on in there? I wonder if something happened. Zechariah came out finally. And we have recorded in pages of Scripture the first game of charades ever to take place. And they deciphered from his motions that he had seen a vision while he was inside the temple. And they were amazed. Zechariah finished his role of service. He went home. His wife conceived and had... Five months of seclusion, where she chose not to go out at all, acknowledging what God had done for her. For her, this was a huge blessing. She had associated her lack of children as something to be ashamed of. And she saw this as God's gift to her to resolve that disgrace, to resolve that shame in her life, and to provide for her a blessing of a child. Now, this message from the angel was an incredible message for Zechariah and Elizabeth. The angel provided this very clear message about the purpose that this baby would fulfill. And, and the angel began to tell Zechariah about that. First, he said, this baby will be a joy. Now, obviously, the birth of John would be a great joy to Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is something they had been waiting so long to accomplish. They waited long enough that it seemed like an impossibility. They would almost given up hope that this could ever happen. And yet, they were, they were told that you're going to have a baby. You're going to raise a child. And it would have filled them with joy. But beyond the two of them, 
people surrounding them would rejoice at the birth of John. This baby would have an impact beyond their family. The angel said he will be great. His life will have significance. He will accomplish much. He must be obedient. And the angel provided Zechariah and Elizabeth with very strict instructions about not letting alcohol, fermented drink, to pass over his lips. Very strict instructions for how he would be raised. The angel said he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even before he's born, the Holy Spirit will be at work in him. And his life will be devoted of going before the Lord, of making people ready, preparing them. Can you imagine what it would have been like for parents, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, to, to hear this message about the child that they didn't even have yet? To be given a message about the purpose their child would fulfill. All the, all the fear and wonder that goes in, into parenthood of, of, of worrying about the life of your child, of the things that they might accomplish, the things that they might do, the, the, the career that they might have, the, the significance that their life will, will someday hopefully have, and, and the worry about parents of how they can help their child to accomplish all of those things. It's a source of great anxiety for some parents. Can you imagine what it would be like to have information about your child, even before they're born, of what exactly they're going to accomplish, the kind of, of peace and hope it would provide. Not only knowing who they would become and what they would do, but also being given instructions about how to help them step into that role. Can you imagine what this information would be like for a child to have in those, in those years where they're wondering about what the future will hold, what, what kind of career they're going to have, what kind of school they're going to go to, about what kind of occupation they're going to have. To have this, this level of certainty you know how you, you very often adults will ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Can you imagine the people in town asking John the Baptist, hi, what, what would you like to be when you grow up? And instead of, you know, a, a carpenter or a shepherd, like they would hear any other child say, he would say, well, I'm going to go before the Lord. I'm going to turn the hearts of parents back to their children. I'm going to turn the hearts of those who are wicked back to righteousness. Who says that? But this, this little boy would know without a shadow of a doubt from even an early age that his life had this prophetic message of purpose, of direction that would have eliminated years of wondering, would have eliminated the time and energy of, of searching and trying and exploring different things. He wouldn't need all of that. He, he would know specifically God's purpose for him, that his life would be given in support of Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah. This is one mystery of life that had been completely resolved for John and for his parents. They understood his purpose, how his life would be meaningful and productive, how he would make a difference in the lives of people around them and the people of the nation of Israel, the people of the world. How that significance would go beyond his lifetime. People would remember him and know him after he died. In fact, that his work would be remembered on into eternity. With the information they received about John's purpose, they also knew how to prepare him for that purpose, how to set him up to succeed. And beyond that, their knowledge of his purpose provided them with a unique connection to hope. A unique connection to hope, not just because it was hope in Christ, but hope of certainty in the future. A hope that would have been more vivid and concrete because of the certainty provided through this prophetic message. I've found that when we discover our purpose, it, it aligns us with hope because it points us specifically to a future that's coming. And I've, I've learned that lesson 
as I compare what it's like to, to discover a hope, a purpose in, in, in the Lord to the times in my life where I've lived without a purpose, where I've been searching, wondering, wasting, as I've, as I've tried to, to discover meaning in life, a purpose in life, of giving myself towards something of significance and value. When we live without purpose, it creates tension. And we feel restless sometimes, uh, wondering what, what the meaning of everything should be. There are times where we're really frustrated and discontent with the quality and meaning of life, with the quality and meaning of our relationships, with the quality and meaning of our work. When we lack purpose, it creates a significant amount of difficulty. When we discover our purpose, when we point our lives toward a goal, it helps to bring all those pieces of our lives into alignment. It, it, it tunes our life. It brings the discord of life into a resonance of, of harmony. And, and everything just resonates together. I have a, a group of leaders that I meet with on a monthly basis, a Hancock leadership group. And we talk about purpose. Just last month, we talked about purpose. And, and the idea of aligning life with underneath one purpose and the, the harmony that comes from that. So I talked to them a little bit about, about the idea of harmony, of sound waves. You know how sound waves travel through the air? Uh, and, and when they are aligned, when they're the same length, there's this, this resonance, this harmony that takes place. When you alter the pitch of a sound wave, when the pitch goes up, the sound waves get shorter. When the pitch goes down, they get longer. And, and, and it changes the way those waves interact with each other. And when those waves are in conflict, there's discord. They crash against each other. You can hear that, the, the, the difference. You can also hear what takes place when, when there's resonance. And, and I've discovered this personally, like uh, singing in the shower or when I'm sitting in a public bathroom and humming. Maybe I'm revealing too much about myself. Um, but if, if you've ever been in an enclosed space, you know that a small, a small room, a small area has a point of resonance, a certain frequency of pitch that causes reverberation, that causes this resonance in the room. And whatever, whatever pitch that is, is amplified. It's like what happens inside the cavity of a guitar when you play notes. Those sound waves are, are amplified as they resonate within that chamber. When you're in a bathroom and you find that pitch, everything vibrates together. And you can, you can hear the sound waves bouncing off of the walls. It's incredible. You should try it sometime. Don't be afraid what people think about you. Just go for it. When we find that resonance in life, everything comes into alignment. Everything flows together. That's what it feels like when we align our lives with purpose. harmony that fills us. Everything working together towards the same goal. Nothing that stands out in discord. Nothing clashing. When we live according to our purpose, the disarray of life, pursuing different paths, comes together as we focus on one goal. Disarray looks like the end of a frayed rope with all the strands facing in different directions. And we, are, we live in disarray. That's what our lives look like. All the pieces of life in different directions. When we live with one purpose, it's like braiding those pieces of a rope back together, twisting them, restoring the strength and effectiveness that was once there. That's what happens when we live according to our purpose. Find a cohesiveness, a purpose, a strength, and effectiveness that was once missing. As we live according to our purpose in the Lord, we discover a hope that comes from knowing that we're giving our time and energy, our talent, 
something that's meaningful and significant beyond the measure of our lives, beyond the scope of our existence that will continue on into eternity, that we're working for the glory of God and not for our own. Instead of searching through unlimited possibilities of understanding our purpose and trying out things that will maybe bring meaning and value when we trust God for that purpose, we find that it saves us all of that wonder and worry as we focus on what God is calling us to be and what God is calling us to do. We find that kind of purpose through relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as we continue reading about John's story, we find that he also responded to Jesus in a very particular way. I'd like to turn your attention to Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, the next, the next piece of the story of John and Jesus coming together that we pick up. And this is a time when Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, went to visit Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John, and this part of the story unfolds. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, this I have always found to be a fascinating part of the story. As Mary and Elizabeth came into the same place, they brought with them Jesus and John, who were then brought into close proximity with one another. And when John was drawn close to Jesus, he reacted physically to the presence of Jesus. He, he jumped inside of Elizabeth's womb. I can't imagine that would be comfortable. I remember when, when my wife was carrying each of our boys, the discomfort that would take place when they would move and wiggle, where you could see a part of their, their little body like turning in there and just a little, little elbow or a knee. I have no idea what it was. You, visibly, and, and she was uncomfortable. I thought it was hilarious. But I can't imagine what it would be like to have a baby just jump all of a sudden. That's what happened. John reacted physically to the presence of Jesus. Now, that physical example isn't something that we duplicate, but we realize the spiritual implication in our own lives. There's a change that should take place in us when we encounter the presence of Jesus. As we draw close to him, we are changed. We react to that spiritually. And as we draw closer to the Lord, that connection should impact our perspective, aligning our thoughts with him. It, begin, it should begin to shape our, our hearts and minds and direct the actions of our lives and align us with the identity we find in Christ. We recognize our purpose as we draw close to the Lord. That's what our relationship with him does for us. It, it helps us to understand who we were made to be, the life that we're called to live, the obedience that he desires for us, and the significance that he provides as we give our time and energy and talent and potential for him, to him. Can you imagine what life looks like when you recognize all the potential that, that the Creator filled you with? You begin surrendering it to Him and living in, in a way that upholds His purpose for your life. All the, all the talent that was placed in you by your Creator, and, and instead of wasting it on things that would draw attention to you, they, instead you choose to surrender that talent to Him and point to Him as you, as you follow Him and fulfill the, the role that He has for you. Drawing close to the Lord helps us understand God's desires for our lives. Helps us understand how we can give all of who we are to the purpose that he has for us and to his glory. 
And what it, what it requires of us is that we draw close to the Lord and, and follow where he's leading us. How do we do that? How do we, how do we draw close to the Lord? It doesn't mean that you have to come to church more often to discover your purpose. What it means is that you have to open yourself up to, your, to the relationship with the Lord, of, to invest in drawing closer to the Lord on a daily basis, of, of spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer with God, carving out space in your busy schedule to spend time with God instead of going about your life, ignoring Him, refusing to acknowledge that He's even there, that you would stop throughout your day as you're working, as you're busy, recognizing that God's presence is with you, as you're, you're sitting with your family, that you would acknowledge that the Lord is there and be grateful for the time that you have together. You step outside and see the beauty of creation, that you would thank God for all that he's done in your life and the representation of, of his artistry and his handiwork all around you, that you would see God and acknowledge him everywhere that you go and allow people and places and things to remind you that God is there with you all the time and, and rest in his presence. That, that's how we draw close to the Lord, and that's how, that's the place where those changes begin to take place as we surrender to him, acknowledge him, and follow where he's leading. It's not an easy thing to do, but a significant thing to do. Our story continues after Mary and Elizabeth met. Fast forward to the time when John was born. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, neighbors and family gathered around. They were celebrating with her of the miracle that God had produced in her life, of the, the evidence of God at work. And they came to, to share in her joy. Now, it was custom at the time uh, for the people of Israel that eight days after a baby boy was born, that that baby would be circumcised and named. It's part of the process, and they would all celebrate together. And so that time came. And the people all said, why don't you name him Zachariah after his father? And Elizabeth said, no, his name is going to be John. And they said, well, that doesn't make sense. It's the custom that, that you would name your child after a, a member of your family. What about your dad? What, think about somebody else that you could, some other name that you could give to this boy. Why, why would you name him John? That doesn't even make sense. A family name allows a child to recognize their heritage, to understand the family they come from. It, it reminds them of the honor of, of, of living life connected to other people. My middle name is Robert. You probably don't know that. My father's middle name is also Robert. My grandfather's first name is also Robert. My uncle's first name is Robert. My cousin's middle name is Robert. It's a family name. And when I see my name written all the way out, when I hear my name spoken all the way through, usually it's when I'm in trouble, trouble Robert. I remember the family that I come from. I remember the heritage that I have. That's, that's the idea behind this tradition. And yet, Elizabeth and Zechariah had a very clear message from an angel. His name is going to be John, and they were obedient. And so the people around, disagreeing with Elizabeth, started making signs to, to Zechariah, trying to find out what, what name he wanted to, to name the boy. Apparently, because Zechariah couldn't speak, they also assumed that he couldn't hear. And so they made signs to him to find out uh, what the baby's, baby boy's name should be. And so instead of charades, he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And as soon as he did that, his mouth was open, his tongue was set free, and he began to praise God. He lifted his voice in praise of what God was doing. As the angel had said, you'll no longer be able to speak until all of this comes to pass. Verse 67 of chapter 1. 
father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will be, go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Imagine this Lion King moment holding up his baby. You, my son, will be great. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, John's father prophesied about the life he would have, the role that he would fulfill, the person he would become. John grew, became strong, and he moved out into the wilderness until the time would come for him to fulfill the purpose that had been laid out for him. Now, we could stop there knowing that the prophecy is going to be fulfilled, but I'd like to, to just read a portion of the description of what John's life would look like as he stepped into this role from Luke chapter 3. Fast forward a little bit, and we discover his role. And here's the time. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. These names are familiar, aren't they? They're recorded in other places in Scripture, all associated with Jesus, particularly in his crucifixion. During the reign of all of these men, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. And John lived according to the prophecy, a living according to the purpose, according to the prescribed obedience, until it was time for Jesus to emerge as the Son of God, Messiah. John preceded him to make the paths straight for him, to prepare people to know that Jesus was coming. Now, notice that even though the Old Testament prophecy was applied to John's future, even though Zechariah, his father, prophesied about who he would become, about his role in preparing the way for Messiah, even though his parents followed the strict rules of obedience that would help prepare him to become a prophet in his own right, laid out by the angel, all of that, would prepare John for a role that he would have to choose to accept. He would have to personally choose to abide by the rules of obedience and not drink any alcohol. He would have to personally choose to step forward at the right time to prepare the way for Jesus, to say the things that he needed to say, to confront people in the ways he would need to confront them. He would have to choose to abide by the rules his parents imposed. And when he went off into the wilderness, would be responsible for continuing down that path. John would have to choose to be the one to point to Jesus. And that's representative of, uh, of our lives when we, when we discover our purpose. That living according to the purpose that we find in the Lord is a choice. A choice that we have to make. As we discover what our purpose is in the Lord, 
as we learn about the direction he has for our lives. As our parents push us towards the future that they have decided, that they hope that we will accomplish with our lives, we personally have to make a choice in the process. Now, maybe you had parents who had a very specific idea of who you would become, and they, they, they pushed you toward a career. They pushed you toward activities. They pushed you toward a future that they saw you capable of accomplishing, and they did their very best to help you succeed in life. Maybe you had parents who brought you to church all the time, who had a very deep personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they wanted that for you as well. And, and they pushed you toward that and continually made it possible for you to be present in, in a faith community, present in a way that you would discover Christ on your own. But at some point in that process, you and I have to make choices for ourselves, decisions about the future that we are going to take hold of. And without our own decisions and our own effort, we will never become what other people hope for us to become. Without our own decision in the process, we will never step into the purpose that God has for us. It is a personal choice that we have to make, including the future that we have in Christ, choosing him as our Lord and Savior. It is a personal choice that we have to make. You don't become a Christian because your mom and dad really want you to. You become a Christian because you recognize your need for a Savior. and You confess Jesus Christ as Lord, repent of your sins, and get baptized in his name. It has to be a personal choice. And when you think about your, your purpose, when you think about your, your purpose in Christ, what your life can be given to, when you think about all that God has made you for, and you surrender yourself to that purpose, you have to choose to step into the place that God is calling you. God's calling is important. When you, when you draw close to him and you recognize his desires for your life, it's significant to understand why God made you the way he did and what he's calling you to become, but that will never take place unless you personally decide to be obedient and to surrender your life according to that calling. Those decisions are significant to each of us. They're meaningful. And they help us to align our lives according to the purpose that God has for us. And all of this is a reminder of the significance of those choices that we have to make. Not just one choice that then directs the, the whole course of our future, but a series of choices as new possibilities show up, as temptation comes our way to continue to be faithful, to continue to be obedient, to continue to follow after the Lord, to continue to strive for the purpose that he's calling you to. Those are decisions that we make each and every day. And today I want to challenge you to discover what that next decision is in your life. As you think about your purpose, as you discover who you were made to be in the Lord, that you would choose to align your life with that purpose. That if you need to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, you would make that decision. That if you need to set aside all the things that you've been pursuing, all the hopes that you've been placing it anywhere else in your life, and begin to align your life according to the purpose that you have in Christ. This morning, if you have a decision to make, if there's anything in your life you need prayer for, I'd encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing together. Please stand.